and welcome to episode 363 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and here uh, I have some apologies and mea couples to make in this episode, but uh, before we get to that um, rather uh, depressing discussion, let's uh, introduce the rest of the panel, uh, starting with Joshua Lindquist. Hi. And also Pete Levin. Hello, happy to be here. We're here today to discuss Ogre Battle 64, Person of, Lo- of Lordly Caliber, a late 90s uh, RPG for the S- Nintendo 64, um, which is unique in a lot of ways. Uh, this game is has like an unlikely development team on an unlikely system in a somewhat unlikely series, but it has a very uh, dedicated and passionate following that includes both of the two of you for certain. Um, but I uh, do have an apology to make at the bo- beginning of the episode. I have had... A, I don't want to go into specifically what they are, but a large number of uh, significant personal challenges at the beginning of 2023, and I have barely played any video games, let alone the one I was planning to play for January, Ogre Battle 64. Uh, I've never played this game before. I have seen videos and read about it a little bit over the many, many of over the past say 20 years. And I was always curious about it, but never really dove into it. Um, the only Ogre Battle games I've played are uh, Tactics Ogre for the uh, its uh, PSP remake several years ago. Um, we did podcast episodes on that in, I think, 2020. And also, uh, <laughs> I, I did play Tactics Ogre Night of Lotus on GBA uh, many years ago in the, in the mid-2010s. And, and I like both of those games a lot. But um, Ogre Battle 64 is very different it uh is um from the old quest team or the remainders of the quest team after after uh, yasunori matsuno left uh sometime between 1995 and 1997 um a lot the people that uh made this game did not uh develop a huge number of high profile games afterwards but uh ogre battle 64 remains a very popular fan favorite and um Oh, where do I begin here? Uh, uh, Josh, you, uh, before st- um, joining RPG Fan, um, are slash were the uh, the creator of an Ogre Battle 64 site. Is that correct? Yes, I still actively maintain it. Yeah. Still in development. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it, it's it's all a work in progress because, I mean, I mean, no website is really a finished product, you could say. But the uh, um, oh, what's it called and what's uh, your experience with the Ogre Battle 64 community over the years? Oh, I mean, so the website's just ogrebattle64.net. It doesn't have a fancy name. Uh, but uh, but my experience was, uh, I, I actually got this project started during COVID. Um, I'd wanted to make it for a decade and had been in touch with, there are other people that had made Ogre Battle 64 sites and had talked to them for years um, and then just been in a Discord community uh, and then just finally, you know, had time on my hands and sat down but i was dreaming about doing this in college and never got around to it but um when was the first time you played ogre battle 64 and what were your early experiences with it uh so that was i mean it was essentially at launch um i I didn't have it on launch day but i I probably the game came out in 2000 so i probably had it by 2001 or earlier um and uh i just saw it in nintendo power uh, saw it in Nintendo Power. I had, uh, I believe, played the Super Nintendo game just a little bit, probably the PlayStation re-release actually, um, but never had it. And so when I saw the 64 game in Nintendo Power, I was very excited uh, to uh, to finally get a chance to have it. And I'm pretty sure it was a birthday gift or something from my parents. And I uh, played it diligently for years after that. Yeah, uh, Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber, a July 1999 release in Japan, an October 2000 release in uh, North America. I I think, this is very specific, I think the first time I read about it was uh, maybe the GameSpot review in 2000, because that is right around when I started following GameSpot and a lot of RPG-centric fan sites. It was right when I was, uh, in, in, in 2000, when I was... Uh, in sort of at the end of middle school or so. And, and, and I remember this game getting a lot of positive reviews, and I knew of the first Ogre Battle as a that weird, rare uh, Super Nintendo game that I rented once and definitely didn't understand. Um, I and, and, and that was my only Ogre Battle experience for a long time before trying uh, an emulated version of Tactics Ogre in the 2000s and then finally finishing it on the PSP much later. But, uh, but, but the entire Ogre series has a very dedicated following, but Ogre Battle 64 being somewhat different from the others, 
I think even feels more like it's on its own island than even Te- uh, Knight of Lotus does. And that game literally takes place on some ogre battle characters becoming castaways on a, on a mysterious island. But uh, uh, Pete, same question to you. What were your early experiences with Ogre Battle 64 and how, uh, uh, well, I should say, what's your relationship with it been over the years? That's hilarious that you mentioned that GameSpot review because that was a review that I always remembered after reading it. I was an avid GameSpot reader uh, at that time and for many years. And I, um, I remember being so intrigued by that review because I owned a Nintendo 64 and uh, that and the PC game reviews are the few things on that site that I could like relate to. I pretty much had a PC and an N64 and that was it. And I remember what they said about Ogre Battle 64 and being just so impressed and being amazed that a game like that could exist especially on that system. And uh, I kind of didn't really think about it for over a decade until I, uh, to be completely honest, tried it on an emulator. And then later I bought it on the Wii virtual console. And um, it is, like you said, it it is really um worthwhile to mention how unique this is in light of other tactics rpgs other kind of strategy rpgs its approach to battles and also um i think for the limited storage space on a nintendo 64 cartridge how much amazing dialogue they put in there and what they were able to achieve narrative wise on it and but i just whenever i would come across it um you know maybe seeing it on some ROM site back in the day or whatever, I would always remember that GameSpot review and it always intrigued me. And I didn't play it until probably 2012 um, when um, I did, I went in and uh, got it for the Wii virtual console. Uh, I got a Wii at that point. And yeah, it's, it's really inspired me uh, ever since it's, it's a game that is unique in its approach to narrative there are games that deal with the topics it deals with, but I think the way that uh, Ogre Battle 64 deals with those topics is really slick and it's really rather intelligent. And I love the battle system too. Right. Uh, going back to the GameSpot review, I, I remember it specifically because it was it was very positive and you could tell that the reviewer enjoyed it. But also it was a bit uh, novel as a uh, um, GameSpot was started out as sort of a PC-only reviews um, site that sort of became more console-focused over the years. But this was an RPG on N64, which was already very uncommon. And then uh, it was very positive and, um, talk- and praised the sophisticated narrative, uh, which was maybe a little unexpected um, from, uh, from this specific game that, uh, from a series that was very charitably, uh, could, you could be considered niche, but, uh, I, 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 we've thrown around, around a lot of terms already that we are going to, uh, visit more specifically. This game was developed by quest published, uh, in by Atlas in the United States. Um, the ogre, the first two ogre battle games, ogre battle, uh, March of the black queen, and then tactics ogre, let us cling together for the uh, super Nintendo boat. But, but I think both of them had PS one ports were developed by the quest team led by Yasunori Matsuno, who would go on to develop final fantasy tactics, uh, Vagrant Story, Final Fantasy XII, and other games with Square and Square Enix. Matsuno and a lot of his core team left Quest when they were hired by Square in uh, 1995 or 1996. So Ogre Battle 64 was developed by director Tatsuya Azayagi and uh, and uh, designer Koji Takino and, uh, and others that were not um, considered the big names or auteurs that uh, Matsuno is regarded with today. This was a, This was largely a team that uh, was either new were sort of lower on, on the uh, uh, lower on the food chain in quest what it did in the, in the development of those two games, but were developed, but were involved in those developed games. Uh, this game is a specific chapter in the larger ogre saga, which, cause I think each game even specifically mentions that it's a, a it's a specific chapter within the ogre saga or ogre battle saga. The the GBA game night of Lotus is specifically a guide end game about one of the major characters from, uh, from ogre battle when he was, uh, when he was young. But uh, Ogre Battle 64, I, 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 I don't know if I've mentioned this yet. Uh, I, I, I did make a sincere attempt to play this game over the last month. 
um, right around New Year's is when I first tried to play it. Uh, but I, I was at first I, I was going to play it on my uh, Wii Virtual Console copy that I did buy in. Oh, I don't know. We're pretty much right when it came out on the uh, in, I, I think, 2010 or 2011. Uh, because I knew it was an uncommon game and I never had an N64 to play it on. I was a, uh, a, a around when I was um, trying to up to upgrade my Super Nintendo into a new system. Once uh, one machine had Final Fantasy, Street Fighter and Mega Man and the other machine had Zelda and a terrible port of Mega Man Legends. So my decision was made for me. Um, but Ogre Battle 64 was one of those N64 games I was the most intrigued by, but never got to play over the years. So I have had a copy on my Wii for over a decade. Uh, but when I tried to play it, I really, really uh, struggled um, uh, understanding its control scheme on the uh, on my Wii Pro controller. Uh, and, and, and I mean, I also have a lot of problems in general with the N64 controller, but that's maybe an entire separate podcast. <laughs> but uh, so I, I ultimately decided to um, go the ROM route as, as well. And a, a few weeks ago, like middle of January, I guess I downloaded and an, uh, a a ROM and N64 emulator. I won't say I won't say how uh, use Google if you're that determined listener. But I, I also just struggled to get started with it. But this time it was for more personal reasons. I've had a, a very difficult January, as I mentioned before, with both uh, um personal and medical issues and i haven't i haven't i haven't finished a single video game since the new year and this is just because i've had difficulty playing anything let alone a uh, a lengthy rpg that has um I, I i i should say some really cool ideas but some occasionally confusing execution uh does that sound fair or am i just yeah. uh am i just like outing myself as an n64 hater here no not at all it's no, totally fair some... i mean uh a big i guess we'll get into it soon but a big part of the game is organizing your units and setting them in formations and everything and the menu system to do that specifically if you uh i don't know i guess are using a touchscreen through some method uh, it can be frustrating to navigate those menus and it's not always clear which menu items take you to which parts to do exactly what you want to do. It takes some learning. It takes some patience. Um, so yeah, you're totally fair to, to mention that. And, and it's a very fair, um, uh, you know, hang up for sure. Yeah. Like this might be a little more of like a positive spin on it, but uh, like there was a, a comment earlier that the game's very big. Uh, and it is. It's one of the largest in 64 games. Uh, it's maybe a little over ambitious. <laughs> they had to use some kind of 32 uh, bit expanded cartridge, and it was one of only two games that did that. So, th so this is a, uh, a, a, at least size wise for a cartridge of the time, uh, a, a large video game. Right. No, it for sure. And it is. It's a little over ambitious in some of its menus and all the things you can do. And, uh, and I don't know if it reflects on some inexperience from the developers or just the lack of buttons on the 64. It's that probably they felt the time they could use. To. Right. But the menus are pretty clunky, right? If it were made today, it would be much more streamlined. Just no one would ever consider putting it together the way it is. And you have to engage with the menus. Uh, if you're going to equip any of your units, any of your guys with a new sword or a new piece of armor, you need to go interact with the menus. And the thing about the menus also, they are powerful. And, and when you learn it, it's good because they're powerful. They let you do a lot of things. There's a lot of cool things you can do with formations in this game. And so you can see why they got to where they got to, um, you know, but it, it is show it's, it's a lack of streamlining. I think in a later era, like you said, Josh, it would be cleaned up a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's a a good example of an older game that really uh, really wants you to read the manual and really wants yes. you to play the in-game tutorial. And one useful thing on almost any menu, if you highlight an item and you press start, it will tell you what it is. So that's good to know. That that's yeah, a helpful tip. Yeah, having a tooltip function was really welcome in this game, but this game does not very well communicate to you, the player, uh, how to play it. The, uh, the 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 tutorial they really want in time investment into the manual or tutorial 
Um, I did try the tutorial a little bit, but I mostly relied on reading and uh, on doing some outside research into guides before going in. So I would have some idea of what to do. Uh, it, it's very clear that formations and unit diversity and, um, and, and, uh, balancing the different alignment of different characters is important, but the game, I don't think it does a great job of explaining its own systems to you. And I, I, I did not have access to a copy of the manual, but I, I think that maybe there's this, this game tries a lot and under explains itself, but, but that's maybe a function of it being a 1999 RPG and, and, and less of a, and, and less of how good the game actually is. But like, I, uh, whenever I was reading about this game, like there was a, the community and the guides written for it and everything had a lot of enthusiasm and passion that you could not deny at all. But there was also a tone of like people almost apologizing for the game as they were explaining to, to it to you in a way that made me think like, oh, oh, this game, this, this game is good and its fans are very dedicated, but they also are very aware of how sort of um uh, how it's a little opaque at times i'll say if i can swing it a little um more to the other side i guess uh from there you know really good points i think we've all made um if you are like i tend to be and you're not much of a min maxer this game is kind of a dream because what all these systems like you mentioned I don't, we can get into some of these things, but how alignment interacts with your unit level and the power of your unit and what that means for liberating or taking control of towns on the maps um, and how that affects uh, certain things and potentially even the story, uh, which characters you can recruit and so on. If you're not trying to min-max this game and trying to understand every little system, because it is obfuscated, there's very little the game shows you as it's and it's hard to find like oh what's the what's how chaotic or lawful is this unit so like it's it's kind of not the easiest thing to find that information but if you don't and you kind of let things play out naturally all these systems mix together into a pretty organic feeling thing that i kind of especially on this playthrough because i'm trying to play through it kind of quickly so i'm not as careful as i have been in the past and certain outcomes that just happen i feel good with rolling with and it feels real it feels more grounded and it feels uh it feels like almost maybe not obviously not realistic but believable in a way yeah i uh i kind of i agree like i feel like we look at it especially when you're writing guides right and it's like well this is really complicated and difficult to understand but I think they did it that way intentionally because they didn't, they just wanted you to play the game, right? <laughs> and not try to min max it and figure it all out necessarily. Uh, because there are multiple story paths, a whole bunch of different dialogue based on what you do, multiple endings. Um, and they, I think they wanted you to just play it and see how it went. And then maybe on a repeat playthrough, you know, you can bother with all the specifics. But uh, without a guide in front of you, like you don't know that X character was even recruitable in the first place. Right? Or you they, might not even know, like, hey, why did my alignment go down after this battle, after this right. encounter? Like, it might not always be obvious. Why did this character in my same unit, why did his <clears throat> alignment go up, but her alignment went down? You know, like, that's not always obvious, but it leads to cool kind of naturalistic outcomes sometimes. Ah, right. yes. So this game is bad at explaining how to play itself, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, uh, I I completely disagree with both of you. Uh, first of all, I um I am not uh, I do not appreciate the accusation that I was trying to mid max and over research this game. Um, that's not how I was approaching it at all. I was just trying to figure out how to play it without using a menu, and because uh, I knew I realized very quickly that going in blind and trying to just experience it for myself was not going to work. Because the controls on the Wii were, I think, pretty bad, and the uh, and I was and I had a lot of difficulty doing basic things like me like menus and formations, and and I knew there was alignment an alignment system, but the game uh, did like did a poor job of telling me what the alignments meant or what it would do, and and not and not necessarily because I was going after specific outcomes or trying to min max anything, but because I just. I didn't know what any of it meant. And I, and I, and maybe this uh, speaks to how I play video games, 
but when I play them, I like to have an idea of what I'm capable of and what the and what and and what the game's systems are, so I can play them how I want to. Sometimes that does mean min-maxing or exploit or playing in an exploitative manner. Sometimes that is going in a little bit more organically and just making decisions as I feel like I want to make them. Um, and but but sometimes I want to role play a character a certain way, and uh, and if I don't have an uh, an idea of how alignments work, then I will then I will fail at my own attempt to role play. Like I, I think it is, I, I think that it, it it is facile and uh, and I I think that defending a game saying but actually this bad thing is actually a good thing is is only is is just trying to justify your own enjoyment when there isn't a reasonable defense for it. This game has. This game has issues with communicating its systems and menus and some of the fundamentals of how to play it. That made it uh, that that made it feel like I was already going into something that I I needed to read a manual for to mm-hmm. uh, d- 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 before I go- went into play it. And I, I don't I'm not going to defend that as a good thing. Well, I think your points are well taken. Like we said, it, those are real issues, and I think we kind of all agree on that. Um, uh, and we're not we're not accusing you of min maxing or anything. I just simply brought that up because in RP and it's something that I do as well. And with this very game, I've tried it before too. Um, with RPGs, most of them, I think lean toward encouraging min maxing. I just think it's, it's interesting that this, uh, the approach seems to be for this game to not as much, but yeah, the real issues, they're real. You're right. We don't mean to discount like how, bad the game is at communicating things or how difficult the menus are to navigate those are real issues that you know if people are are wanting to check it out they should know about going in um you know it's it's product of it being an older game also i think you mentioned um perhaps uh, the inexperience of the developers um uh we simply i my whole point was just saying um you know, getting over some of those issues and not understanding everything perfectly, I think for a certain kind of player can still lead to an interesting thing, but that's totally fair. You know, like it should communicate what things mean. So you, especially like, I like what you said, because you might want to role play a certain character a certain way. That's a very, very fair point. And with this game, it can be a little confusing to be able to achieve, you know, that kind of role playing. That's totally true. Yeah, and I I would add that since we've been talking about alignment, uh, alignment probably is I think near anyone that plays this game repeatedly for sure, probably the most confusing, most difficult to manage part of the entire game. Um, y- even yes. with, even with a guide, <laughs> it's just you a, a lot of times you just kind of accept how it turns out, or you go to extreme lengths uh, like item duplication glitches to manipulate it um like i can tell you i i wanted a unit in a a playthrough last year i wanted a unit to go chaotic you know this is a lawful chaotic alignment scale i literally spent hours grinding to get that character from one into the other and most people would have just said forget it don't don't waste your time um i just wanted to see if i could do it right the thing is, I didn't care about alignment when I was figuring out how to play this game. But when I was looking up basic information on how to play this game, a lot of the discussion went straight into alignment. And that just made it... And because that is something that uh, that some fans of the game try to manipulate. It's, it's like, do, because the game does have a, a lawful route, a chaotic route, and a neutral route, speaking in generalities... And there is a single continuum uh, uh, morality system or karma system or whatever you want to call that goes from chaotic to neutral to lawful. That that system is called chaos frame, which is a which are two words that I would love to never see put together and for the rest of my entire life. Um, but like, but how chaos frame is calculated is no one seems to quite understand it, and uh, and the principles of how to gain more points towards lawful or towards chaotic are uh, making sure that your different units of characters are filled with mostly lawful or mostly chaotic units. And when you capture a town, if the town's morale is high, you should liberate it with a lawful unit. If the town's morale is low, you should hand, you should probably uh, capture it with a chaotic unit. And if you, um, if you get any sort of 
the switches wrong or, or uh, on the on those uh, operations, then your chaos frame will perhaps go in the direction you don't want it to go. And even if you play this game um, pretty cold or pretty blind and just making decisions based on how you want to make them, and you're not thinking about chaos frame or alignment, which is which is a perfectly fine way to play the game. You probably don't have any way of knowing that, you know, your your team composition uh, will affect these things. And and even like if I were to go into this game blind, and I was I was trying not to. I was trying to have some understanding of how the system worked before playing it, but 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 intending to make decisions uh, personally and not with a specific outcome in mind. Um, I, I think that it would have been a hindrance or frustrating not to realize that my unit composition had align had built in alignment choices that I was making. Like I, I think this game like wants to do the some very interesting things, like have an alignment system that uh, with that that has ending changes and uh, and has unit composition effect alignment. Like all of that is cool, but it is not really well communicated and a lot of players think it's really important like even if even if you're extolling the virtues of of playing this organically the uh a lot of the community is hyper fixated on chaos frame right and uh and part of that i think you mentioned that the fans are really really passionate about the game right the guides do tend to just ooze that this game is practically is practically the um, the platonic ideal of a cult following RPG. I would say. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem we've run into is that because things have not been understood very well, uh, and people have been excited for twenty years, a lot of the guides are wrong, and or contradict each other. So you can see where even someone twenty years ago had it right or mostly right. But then other people said, no, no, that's that's not right. And had kind of built a consensus around something else. And now we've had to kind of go back and say, well, maybe that was maybe the other way was better. Uh, And so we are like the community does still research this stuff, uh, trying to figure out exactly how it works. But you had the basics right. Um, So it's kind of like the reading a bunch of guides or any guides, honestly, almost confuses it more. because the basics is you want the alignment of your unit to match the morale of the town. And if you do that, then your reputation your is your chaos, which is chaos frame is just a stupid word for reputation. Your reputation increases. And if you have it mixed matched, your reputation decreases. Uh, but your reputation is invisible. Uh, I can. So I'm not in the ogre battle 64 community. Um, I spent very little time reading guides and really investing myself in understanding all of the very, very minute and um, obscure systems of the game. Um, So I don't know if I can represent some kind of, you know, maybe a, a little bit closer to the average person who might listen to us and might be interested in playing this game. Maybe they heard about it a bunch. Um, But that that the specific issue of matching your uh, alignment with the towns is something that I like, and I like how uh, I mean we really should back up and probably talk about the uh, the setting of the game, the plot of the game, and and, and how it plays. Um, but one thing, maybe by way of of segueing into that, um, if there's n- not something else you guys want to add, like I think. Um, what this game represents, what is it's about? It's about an uprising. It's about a civil uprising in a very uh, kind of 30 years war setting where you have different religions tied to different um, p- uh, political apparatuses uh, fighting each other. You have some that are subservient to others and you have a revolution. And what I like is that is reflected both in the gameplay with the alignment system and the fact that every town has its own kind of uh, uh, its own leanings. And that could, I mean, it's an abstract way, I think to represent the the culture of the people in the town or the city or the stronghold. Right. And it's also reflected that way, but also in the narrative, the difficulty of uh, bringing together a, uh, 
a unified movement for revolution, for social change, for, um, uh, for uh, yeah, like a political revolution. And the fact that when you do that, you're involving many people with many different beliefs and people who uh, people who have different experiences. And so how the, in my view, as someone who hasn't spent a lot of time reading guides is not really in the Ogre Battle 64 community at all. The fact that the game tries to represent that through gameplay, I really like. Yes, it should communicate it better. It should be more upfront. You can dig in. There's guides inside the game itself. You can dig in to explain that. Um, but I think it's really cool how, what, what are we trying to do here? Well, we're trying to unify a populace. We're trying to convince people who with different experiences than other people who are involved in this revolution to join up. And what that means is, you know, representing their interests. And when you represent their interests in the game, that could be the game has abstracted that reality into, oh, well, look, we have people with us who are like you and they have the same interests you do. And, and, and I think that that's kind of a cool uh, narrative uh, part that's represented through the gameplay itself. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that it only took us 30 minutes for uh, Pete to go into a diatribe on the uh, on the uh, the rel- the revolution narrative of Ogre Battle 64. You, in fact, wrote a feature on RPG Fan uh, about that very th- topic in uh, three years ago in 2020. Um, but 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 yes, th- this game does try to communicate the. The, the messiness of a revolution and how uh, and how an, an event as transformative as political upheaval does not affect an entire block of people the same way uh, that they are trying to represent that and that is interesting but I, I think that be, to give this a lot of deep mechanics and to have these mechanics thrust upon the player but explain them very poorly is I, I can't think of that as a positive, not at, at all. So like I, I was starting to feel overwhelmed about what this game was doing before I even started playing it. And then the, navigating the menus was such a challenge that I, uh, that it, this, this game was frustrating to even, to even begin. And, uh, and, and me like having st- struggling to be able to enjoy any video game this month made it a little bit, uh, a, a little bit harder, but um, I, I do recommend that um, anyone interested in the narrative of uh, Ogre Battle sixty four check out Pete's feature. Um, but l- let's go and back uh, back a little bit instead of talking about the big picture storyline without saying the name of any character or place or or thing. Um, uh, the Ogre Battle sixty four starts out in some cutscenes. You're uh, a a no- young nobleman named Magnus Gallant who is a graduate of, an, of a uh, esteemed military academy. And you're a uh, sort of a a low level officer in the um, in, in the Palatinus merit, uh, military, but then civil war erupts suddenly. You uh, and you decide to side with the leader of the revolutionary group, and then um, and then you sort of begin liberating parts of Palatinus, and you then you start to uh, interact with with people from both sides, as well as a a, a very large group that shows up in uh, past ogre battle games, the Holy Lotus empire and the, uh, and, and the dark hordes and the game gets, gets starts from being not very supernatural to extremely supernatural by the end. Um, which I, I, which I guess is, uh, is also a feature of uh, final fantasy tactics, which is, you know, um, ogre battles cousin, but, uh, uh, Josh, starting with you, um, uh, what, like, like, what are your overall thoughts about this game's story, especially in the early goings on and how, important or and and also maybe or maybe how rewarding is it to have played the um the older ogre games ahead of this one oh like i i had very little experience with the previous games Uh, i like i had never played tactics ogre before i played this um i'm not even sure i knew it existed um but uh and the super nintendo game has uh, it doesn't have any actual cutscenes or extended dialogue sequences at all uh, so it's very difficult to piece that story together unless you like play it multiple times um, or or read supplemental material. Uh, so like I don't really think you need any prior knowledge. Um, the like there are connected pieces, right? Even just the word ogre battle, right? That's that's backstory that really goes from the Super Nintendo game. Um, 
but and there are some recurring characters that it's cool if you recognize them but if you don't know who they are they're just more characters okay so so it's not um deeply referential to the past games like i i know that these are these are all very specific chapters within the arching saga like like uh I mean, it does sort of the Star Wars thing where um, star- where the first Star Wars movie was episode four. So it like it, it, it gives you the feeling of it beginning in meteor in meteor rest and having the uh, and, and being a smaller chapter within a larger story before it, there was more story. So I, 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 I think I trust you like this is I don't it's not crucial to play other games in this series, but there are references and there is the feeling of a larger setting. That, right, uh, there is like comparing it to Star Wars, right? If we the original trilogy of Star Wars follows Luke's story, the Ogre Battle Saga does not follow the story of a single character. It follows the story of like a, a world, but one game is focused on a specific country, and then this game is yeah. focused on a different country. And you kind of have Lotus as the maybe overarching big bad guy in the background uh, across the series, but other than that. It's just very separate conflicts. Uh, March of the Black Queen is a game I started like 20 times and uh, for one reason or another couldn't get very far in. And I played through this game twice. I would say it's not necessary to have played the earlier one. And I haven't played the uh, I haven't finished or gotten very far in any of the Tactics Ogres game uh, Tactics Ogre games either. I, I, I mean, I, I wish I said this already. I have played Knight of Lotus and uh, and Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling together. I, I rented Ogre Battle for the Super Nintendo once or twice, but didn't really understand it. But it, it is the all-time, or, or one of the all-time favorite games of one of my close friends. So he's been bugging me to try and play it uh, for this podcast, in, fast, in fact, for, oh, I don't know, four or five years at least. But the... Uh, I I did I didn't really I just didn't know the specific connections between uh, past games I, and I didn't know if there was any that were particularly meaningful is why I asked I I I figured this game stood alone um st- was was standalone in its own right but I didn't I didn't know how deep the connections went uh but 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 Magnus our hero uh like again because I have not pl- I have not played very far into this um. What are some early moments in the story or maybe an early decision that you make that you find uh, particularly interesting or uh, or impactful? Whoever wants to go first. Uh, I can jump in. There's the uh, the personal rivalry with Dio and Dio tries to pick a fight with you right at the very beginning that you can choose to indulge in or take the high ground on. Um you know, Magnus very early on is appointed the leader of his you know little squad, and Dio's like, why, <laughs> like why him and not me? Dio's kind of a hothead, um, and so at the very beginning, probably the first couple of chapters, he's like a personal rival to Magnus, and you can choose. Uh, there's a decision you can make with him or not to, I guess you know, choose to to fall into a fight with him. Yeah, and like following up on that decision. Uh, you mentioned that you choose to join the revolution, but at the beginning of the game, you're not part of the revolution, right? You get to see all the build up to that. And there is a pivotal moment where you get to choose whether you're going to say that you, well, you get to choose to refuse to kill the leader of the revolution or to sit in silence and say nothing. Uh, And I mean, it actually is a, an actual pivotal moment in the story that makes a difference. Um, and uh, so that one that one sticks out to me as like the main moment of the first chapter of the game. And just to, I guess, drop more names, you have your su- superiors who are General Godeslas, who's like right above you. He's the leader of the Southern Division, uh, which is the division you're in. And then there's Raid, <laughs> which is like, what a name, Raid with an H after the R. What What is Raid, Josh, again? What is he exactly? Uh, he's a knight of the Central Division, uh, which is like the main capital of the country right they're they're the prestigious ones because they 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 have the capital that's right so those are your kind of two main villains right at the beginning of the game uh raid's the one who's just like bugging you so bad to kill frederick the leader of the revolutionary army and he's always on your case he's always skeptical he's he's got a crazy temper so it's pretty obvious how his bread is buttered as soon as you meet him Godeslas is a bit more of a pathetic figure, but he's pretty interesting too. He's also an evil guy, but 
yeah, he's a easy to manipulate, kind of just desperate for a promotion kind of character. Uh, will do anything to get ahead, but is actually uh, a weakling. Uh, and of course, Hugo. Hugo is like your tactician and like advisor. And he is, I know he is from the first game. He's like, a, he's, he was a wizard that could uh, be not, not quite, actually. Uh, oh, no? Nope. Uh, in the first game, there's another tactician slash wizard named Warren, uh, who who actually reappears in Tactics Ogre. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Warren, that's right. Yeah, Warren's important in Tactics Ogre. The, the, uh, and the Warren report is even the sort of codex you use in Tactics Ogre to keep track of what of exactly what's going on. Ah, much right. like the uh, Hugo report from right. Ogre Battle sixty four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 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 try to throw in these codexes to, to try to keep you abreast because uh, there are a lot of proper nouns, a lot of places, a lot of names, and especially because you begin in the middle of the story, like you said, Mike. Like it is nice that they have those in there to kind of keep who's who straight. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, Matsuno and then his successors within Quest really liked having a lot of lore puzzle pieces to place everywhere. Because, I mean, a similar uh, codex is uh, is in Final Fantasy Tactics for the two full wars that take place before the war you're actually in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah, this game does, like, give you the feeling of a lot of political machinations taking place. And uh, a larger story, uh, uh, sort of the world being larger than the story you just happen to be playing. But but get, th- th- there's a lot to digest, <laughs> and and uh, and depending on just how 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 you feel about abundance of lore, that could be a great thing or a bad thing. Like uh, my my sister wrote um, reviews for an entertainment magazine for several years, and one time she made a comment that uh, movies, um, recent movies, have a tendency to include about eighty percent too much backstory. And I and I like I, not necessarily with Ogre Battle sixty four, but like I look at the codices of even a game that, a game that I love that I played recently, say Mass Effect two. I it's like like this this game's great. I love this video game, but they're they're giving me eighty percent too much backstory. Too many codices, too many codices for me in Mass Effect, and probably for in Ogre Battle as well. And Ogre Battle, I tend to uh, try to just interpret and understand what's told to me to my face <laughs> it doesn't always go well but i try yeah like i i, I actually agree right it, it was like i would even say several playthroughs many years before i really felt like i understood the story beca- because there's so much like background and lore in there right and like you don't need all of it but it feels overwhelming that it's there and you don't have it yeah, um, this is not a, com- a complaint specific to Ogre Battle 64. If, if anything, I, I know more about uh, or I'm more affected by other games and films and stuff that do this. Like, like I, I struggle to enjoy um, a, a lot of uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies of the of the 2020s because like, like some of them expect you to have seen every other movie and multiple TV shows before going before going into this new one. It's, it's, it's like it's. I like I understand the value of something feeling like it's it's part of a bigger whole, but I also f- don't like the idea that I'm supposed to do homework before I can understand something. Like, like I I will never finish a uh, I will never finish Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce because I know that to properly understand Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce, you probably have to take a class on Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. I uh, th- that is an extreme example, but the uh, like when too much of the game is not in the text. And and is in something like a codex or uh, or supplementary supplementary materials. Like my my, my first question is why? <laughs> like it, it's um it's good that Ogre Battle sixty four is a standalone game that can be enjoyed on its own merit. And you don't have to play previous games to enjoy it. That is that is good. But I also wish this game had just a little bit less backstory, a little bit less that was buried in the codices. But I also feel that way about almost every RPG. <laughs> So uh, th- this is not a specific complaint to ogre to ogre battle. I mean, I was um right at the end of 2022. I finished one of the Trails video games, and uh, and 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 playing that made me want to like play three other Trails video games, but also made me wish that the Trails the larger Trails series was less than 12 video games because I think that's where I think that's where they are in Japan right now. Rant over, but. 
sometimes I find a codex o- overwhelming and more uh, of a detriment than a positive. Well, it is an RPG problem. And what I think Overbattle does kind of deftly is it illustrates uh, the Russian nesting doll uh, nature of the setting, how you have... It's not always successful in making it very clear, but I think it's fairly successful in making it clear. Like you have uh, uh, superior to everyone, you have the Holy Lotus Empire. And then subordinate to that, you have Palatinus, which has its own traditional religion, uh, uh, traditionally practiced within it. But Lotusism, the religion uh, of the Holy Lotus Empire, was they tried to impose it upon them. And um, so then that forms the basis of the class system. Also, Lotus was using it for Palatinus for its natural resources and um, implementing unfair labor practices. And so then and then so then you have the hierarchy of Palatinus, which is subordinate to Lotus. But below them, you have their people who are frustrated and trying to rise up. And so really, the, the story focuses there for the first half. And in the second half, you incorporate more of the Holy Lotus Empire getting involved and you get more of a bigger picture. Um, but I think if you do ignore the codices, like I said, I, I did have to look them up today to get some of the <laughs> names right. You have um, certain kind of people groups within certain nations, and it's not always easy to keep it straight. But for the most part, in broad strokes, I think just what's told to your face in the game, you can kind of parse out Um and, and like we mentioned before, it's really well done for an N64 game. Um, it's a very serious story. There's, uh, yeah, kind of a lot of text, but it's pretty economical as well. It's pretty clear. It's well translated, um, at least to the point of being easy to understand. So, yeah, you, you can really enjoy the plot for what it is, I think, um, for the most part. Maybe a, a dip here or there in, into the Codex you know, might be a little bit too daunting. I know um, that's never a good thing, but overall, I think they did okay here. Yeah, I I think that uh, while the game is very focused on the problems of the local people and the revolution itself, and just you know the different the different divisions, which are just like the states, like Palatinus has four states essentially, uh, and then uh, like as as long as they're focused on the political conflict. It's very easy to follow what's happening uh, when they throw in the supernatural portion of it. Then they have a bunch of made up words, right? <laughs> and, and things that you feel like you're missing something uh, if you don't read a little more into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I, I've played and finished two of the Tactics Ogre games and they all end in summoning angels and liches and uh, a, 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 a sneaky witch named Deneb that seems to be in all of these games. And, uh, and 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 a lot of monsters and, and class changing uh, between different monsters. I mean, liches and angels are, are two ex- uh, very specific uh, supernatural classes that uh, that are always among the most powerful in these games. But, but like it, 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 uh, it like it escalates from local revolution to global conflict to supernatural conflict, or, or at least the the ogre games all seem to follow that path speaking in, in, in a very, very broad strokes, but, uh, but, but this game does it at least pretty well. And, and I mean, I, we've been complaining about codices and, uh, and how parts of this plot are confusing, but, but it is reasonable enough to follow if you don't think about it too much. But I say this as someone who is over accused of overthinking everything. Yeah. Like, no, you can follow the story. Um, you know, the basic story, like I said, like I feel like the some of the supernatural ideas get a little difficult to understand. Um, and, and there is, you know, you can do a deep dive into backstory lore if you really want to. Like, I mean, Magnus's hair is blue and that is significant. Right. But that doesn't matter to the main story. Um, and one, one bit of supplemental reading I do find really welcome is when you liberate a town and you visit it and there's a very short interaction um between you know your your squad and like a person in town and i find a lot of those kind of one or two sentence little quips by the people in town you know which you can take as representing the general feeling of the populace to be sometimes pretty profound and 
sometimes they're silly and you know sometimes they're just like what are you doing here we hate you or hey cool you're here we love you but um they're all different for every town there's a completely different dialogue or you know monologue i suppose and they're worth seeking out they're they provide some kind of insight and like i said the game covers all these layers pretty well and even down to like almost the individual level or at least like the general group level of individual towns. Right. There, like there is a lot of world building in visiting the towns, but it's a, it's a lot of effort to go get it. Right. Um, and, and actually if you visit during the mission, like right after you've taken it, you'll get a different message than if you come back afterward, just investigating the area later. Uh, I didn't know that. And in some cases, like there's side quests that you pick up. Uh, after the missions or uh, or even like if you send a specific character somewhere else, they'll they'll meet someone they know. Right. Um, and, and a lot of that, again, is not well explained. Uh, that's just a, but there is a lot of world building in there where you kind of get the feel of what the people think about while you're fighting and what they're thinking when you come back later. And I didn't know you can I knew you can go back to the areas, but I did not know that you would get you could potentially get different interactions in towns. And so that's another thing where it's like, it's cool that it's there. And if you happen across it, it could be like a great surprise. Um, But, you know, I love this game and I didn't know that. So potentially if you didn't know that you could, you know, still get a lot of enjoyment out of the game, even without understanding a system like that. Yeah. That's another thing that like a modern game would just have never have had that problem. Right. They wouldn't hide invisible side quests in missions you already completed. They'd put a big exclamation point pointing at it saying, go here. Yeah, for sure. And you see, I'm of two minds about that because I think that, you know, Ubisoft games where you have to, where, where with maps that are incredibly busy with notifications and indicators and, uh, and by completing some side quests, they show you more side quests and you get to view more of the map. And then it, it, it the game becomes a game of map checklist completion. Um, I, I find that awful a lot of the time. But also, if, if when you when side quests are so hidden that they're easy to miss, that uh, and, and and maybe they would have been valuable or are interesting, but have you know very specific unlock conditions that are never communicated. I, I, I find that frustrating uh, for another reason because it, it feels like the game is is hiding itself from me when I want to engage with it. But but th- that's not a problem only with Ogre Battle sixty four. I mean, I, I feel the same way about. Uh, even even recently, some uh, some things inside of, uh, of 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 FromSoft games. Yeah, I mean that that goes back to the thing that I fe- I find the, the 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 signature thing about Ogre Battle sixty four. Like this is a good video game that hides too much from the player and it has a communication issue. Even if when there is a tutorial and usable tooltips, I mean. I feel like this game maybe needs a modern remake to to just to just to you know just to fix some of those things because it, it's an uh, it seems like a doable adjustment in a full remake but uh, but this game is already pretty sizable and so it's not, it's not like you can uh, you know uh, open up a uh, uh, open up a breaker and and flip and and flip a switch that says make game good to. <laughs> To, to solve all these problems. I, I know that a lot uh, more effort than you think goes into these um, um, big budget remakes that Square Enix has put out recently uh, and, 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 uh, and other groups as well. But I think, I think this is a good game with a communication issue. And, uh, but, but frankly, um, I don't know. It, 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 I've had personal struggles the last couple of months, but I, I also had a hard time getting into this game because of some of those early frustrations. I can imagine that, um, I mean, I haven't had a great year myself either. So, and, and I've like had periods of like, man, I just cannot get into whatever it is, whatever it is that I would normally get into, um, or things that other people are interested in that I might want to check out, but I just can't get into it. I I can totally understand that. And I'll tell you one thing. I would not say no. I, I would definitely welcome a nice remake because, of the ogre series this is i mean people know about it obviously there's a huge very well you know very passionate community but it it is kind of i think 
from my perspective, I could be wrong, but I think it's one of the lesser talked about ones next to March of the Black Queen, the Tactics Ogres games, especially now that that Tactics Ogre remake just came out. But sure. I, I would I would I would uh, correct you and say that um, Tactics Ogre is the one that is talked about and all the other ones are the ones less talked about. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably so. Um, but I mean, I will say the game does play when you're in the battles, the way the battles work. I think that's pretty awesome. I think I do like the battle system a lot. I was going to say that's like a strength of the game, right? We, we keep talking, we keep going back to all the negative points and the communication issues and the menus and, and so on. But it's, it's sort of like you end up with like a super fan like me who wants to dig into every bit of it uh, because the base gameplay was fun in the first place. Like, so it it's like, if you just put away all the rest of it and just play the game too, it's, that's what made me just want to keep on playing it 20 years later and I've had 20 years to figure out all the details. Uh, and that, I mean, yeah, that's not good game design. It shouldn't require that. Uh, but the base game is fun. The battle system is really cool. Uh, and I think still basically unique. Um, and, and just playing the missions is fun. And if you take out all the rest of the game, you still have fun playing the game just with that. Yeah, and we probably haven't talked about it enough. This game balances real-time strategy elements. Well, let, let's take a further step back. Back, it, it, You have individual um, individual soldiers that, uh, have, that have skills and classes and a lot of ways to customize them as individuals. And then you organize them into units with, uh, and, and, uh, um, and sort of each unit being sort of a mini party of characters with a designated leader. And you, then you sort of set unit strategies for when they engage in battle with, uh, with enemy units. But then you organize the units um, in a sort of real-time strategy uh, system that gives you, the, you know, you know the, the, the sort of macro gameplay of a full battlefield, but then the micro gameplay of customizing each individual's uh, class and setup and everything. And, and when a unit clashes with another unit, it, it sort of, it sort of does maybe a, a hard cut is wrong, but it, it sort of hard cuts to a, um, to a party versus party turn-based battle that, uh, that you can set strategies for to determine their outcome. So like, 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 like when, once, you know how to play the game and you have the pieces assembled and ready to shuffle around the map. It is pretty fun, but I think that there is that this game has a lot of just ultra specific things about it that I, I, I wish commu- were communicated better. I'm, I'm, I'm being a broken record here, but I, uh, but this is, I mean, it's, it's my genuine reaction. Yeah. I, I actually was flipping through, uh, the instruction manual a little bit while we've been talking and there is there's a lot of information in the manual um, it, it really like, this is not the only game like this right especially from the 90s where they just kind of assumed you would have the manual and that you would read it even if most people never did um, it, it really does feel like they they expected you to have it um, I mean, it's like a, it's almost it's like 40 or plus pages um, the manual is uh, and so I think that's part of it and you might even argue that it's already like one of the biggest N64 cartridges. Maybe there just literally wasn't space to put this information in the game anymore. Uh, and they prioritized the game details over the how to play it, um, which was maybe a bad decision in hindsight. Well, it gave N64 folks a really cool RPG. <laughs> you know, I mean, God bless them for going for it. You know, it's bringing the total number of RPGs on the N64 to three yeah or maybe a very generous there's, five or six yeah <laughs> yeah there's, there's like more that. than people realize but yeah it's yeah how many hands do i need to count all of them i i, I think Just only two one hands i i think there's more than five yeah it, but cool game i mean the the battles are just so fun I, I love how it has all the terrain traits that you'd expect like in a fire emblem or something where the forests do one thing and mountains do another and plains do another and roads you can travel faster on them because since it's real time time does matter and your units fatigue and they have to camp when they you know max out their fatigue so there's all there's a little tiny bit of logistics in there it's a reasonably sophisticated yet simplified and easy to understand like you said mike as soon as you have the pieces all together a real-time strategy game and um 
you know, the way different units have different walking speeds over different terrain uh, based on the class and how some units fly and can ignore, ignore terrain. Um, it, it, the way facing works, how you can flank a unit and hit, diff, you know, expose different uh, soldiers inside the unit. And ha- the way that if you lose a battle, you get pushed back a while, you know, by a lot and how that can affect movement and how you can corner units and just like pound them into a pulp, like with in certain scenarios, it's a reasonably sophisticated and really satisfying strategy system for sure. Isn't the strategy every time to tell your units to focus on the enemy leader? A lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, to be honest. And then, and then mop up after just to grind for levels <laughs> in alignment. Yeah. That's a fair tactic. Um, there would be scenarios where you might want to take the heat off the leader though. If, if maybe there's an exposed healer, that's not the leader. Maybe you want to try to go for maybe the weakest, hoping that that healer would be interpreted as, as the weakest unit or the weakest character in the, in the squad. Um, especially when you get to higher level healer units that can heal multiple soldiers at a time and heal for more HP and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, hitting the leader is definitely uh, an important thing, and which is why you want to protect your own leader, you know. And and sometimes the the and the the computer controlled units can set up their formations in a way that protect the leader, and it can get it can be pretty hard to get to them. Yeah, I would say that especially I would basically tell every new player starting out to mostly use attack the leader um, because it it gives you quicker control over the battlefield since leaderless units will run away from you. Uh, But but when you start learning the game a little more, I find that I switch my strategy frequently now. Sometimes it's not optimal to go for the leader like it because of healers or maybe there's even just a powerful magic user or something in the unit and you're going to take a lot more damage if you don't focus on someone else yeah you could be focusing on on a leader and there could be two dragons that can like hit your whole party for like 50 hp and cause status effects on them and you're like just plinking away at the leader and getting worked at the same time and you won't have a chance optimal strategies sound like you two are just a couple of min maxers trying to extract everything you can out of this game hmm, well you know me uh, my name my you know my last name is min max so yeah uh, all right well okay if i'm if we're uh trying to out min max the other this is uh definitely the end point for this podcast uh, uh thanks so much um uh josh and pete for putting up with my uh, somewhat challenged, somewhat frustrated self. Uh, uh, that that didn't play that f- fairly didn't play this game as much as I wanted to before recording this. Uh, I I almost I almost just didn't just decided to uh, not record any episodes for Retro Encounter in February, but ultimately decided I wanted to keep the weekly schedule up. So uh, so here we are talking about um Ogre Battle sixty four, a, a game that might be a good candidate for some form of remake in the future. But, but speaking of which, um, the topic came up in, a, in previous Retro Encounter episodes about re, uh, remakes that we most want to see. So uh, we're doing that episode next month. In, in March, we're, um, the first two episodes of March are going to be about farming video games, uh, which is a, a topic that I don't know a lot about, but a lot of people on RPG Fan are very passionate on. And also uh, the remakes or remastered RPGs we most we most want to see in the future. So those will be the first two episodes in March. But the, I mean, we're still in February here. Next week, we're doing another episode on, on Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber. Uh, I'll probably try to play a little bit more of the game and see some videos that can uh, allow me to talk about the story game story a little bit more cogently. So please look forward to that next week. And uh, for the last two episodes in February, we have uh, John O'Logan and Mike Salbato and others talking about Star Tropics 1 and 2, a pair of uh, NES RPGs or um, or uh, borderline RPGs, RPG-adjacent games that uh, did a lot of very fascinating design choices for the time. So uh, uh, the next couple of weeks, we have more Ogre Battle, then Star Tropics, then more Star Tropics, then in some order, video games about farms and 
video games you want to see remade. So please look forward to those uh, coming later in Retro Encounter. But uh, Retro Encounter is not the only podcast we have here on RPG Fan. There's also Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and Rhythm Encounter every other two weeks about RPG music. You can uh, review Random Encounter, Rhythm Encounter, and Retro Encounter on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever uh, you choose to um, listen to your podcasts. Um, and uh, if you want to give us feedback as a podcast, there's the email retro at rpgfan.com. And RPG Fan also has presences on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, YouTube, Twitch, something going on on one or all of those every single day. Uh, and uh, oh, I should mention the latest addition to the RPG Fan family is rpgfan.com slash shop, where you can purchase RPG Fan merch such as t-shirts, coffee mugs, phone cases, and, and uh, a very... Uh, a number of other things emblazoned with the RPG fan Emerald Shield. But if you want to reach out to us as individuals and not as a solo podcast or a large website, um, how do you do that? Uh, let's start with you, Pete. Uh, you can yell at me at Twitch at RG Halfpenny, or uh, I guess I don't. I'm not on Twitter much these days. But if you reach out to me on Twitter, I'll see it. That is uh, Pete Barbero one as in the number one at the end and now josh your turn yeah i'm taking a little bit of a social media break but if you want to follow me for when i come back i'm watcher joshua on twitter and tumblr excellent and listeners if you want to find me the easiest way is probably twitter i am still chained to that hell's uh, hell site like a uh, like a prisoner um i am at the real monsoon most of the time at evoker for dogs at other times and on rpg fans discord i am monsoon mike so i don't think i've conducted myself in the most lordly manner in this podcast but i think that uh, maybe next week with some more perspective and some more research we can uh we can get to the bottom of what's going on in this uh underworld vague question mark well, Mike, you cracked the code. Uh, my interpretation of the game is that it says that lords suck. So you're good, man. All right. Well, thank you. Good night and good luck. Good luck.